The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Today's scripture is going to be Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth. And he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Shardai. Beloved, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. 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 Uh, I I want to make sure that um, kind of a lot of times that I get up that I just emphasize one of the core um, parts of our church. Because we don't get to see each other every week. I, I, we don't get to see. We don't have uh, Wednesday night Bible study all the time. Uh, well, not we don't have Wednesday night Bible study. We don't. <laughs> we don't. We don't come and um, there is like a, a bakery group ministry at the church. Um, we don't have all of these different things. And so you know what? One of the one of the things is we need connection points, right? As the family of God, we need to see each other. It, it, it'd be, it's hard kind of seeing each other once a week. So uh, here's my pitch. One of my pitches, many that you'll hear as we move into 2019 and we're organizing our lives. Let's make one, uh, two things, community group and Sunday school, some of the most important parts of our lives as being members of downtown church and being involved in this community. And the reason being is, is because it helps us connect, helps us get to know each other, it helps us be known. That's one of the uh, norms of our community group, is depth, is that we want to make sure people have a place, a safe place where they're known and being known. Amen? Uh, And so that's one of my my, uh, pitches for involvement in community group. But then also Sunday school. Uh, I know we have several Bible scholars in here, and so I, I have no doubt in your biblical literacy. However, I'm certain that uh, at times we don't get as much Bible reading that we desire throughout the week. Various different things occupy our time. We have a great Sunday school um, to where you can come and learn more about the Bible. Uh, not just another sermon or anything, but it's an in-depth way in which... You learn how to use this to help you see the world, understand the world. Uh, so many of the questions that you have 
come out of the Bible. And if, as Christians, we want to make sure this informs everything that we do. Amen, somebody. Amen. All right, all right. I, I, hopefully I've convinced you. Um, I'll be back next week to do another. Do it again. Okay. Also, I want to say that as a pastor of this church, and I think I speak for our staff as well, we love you. We love you dearly, and we pray for you. And we, I want to say that intentionally because I don't ever want you to come to this place thinking that you're just another person. I just, with somebody I just ran into, and they did not know who I was. They did, it was the first time going to be here, and I introduced myself as I was dropping my son off. And you know what they said? You don't seem like a pastor. You're so nice. Uh, I made sure my, my wife wasn't there, but maybe she's going to be there next time to make sure that happens. She realizes I'm not saying. But the, re, the reality is, uh, People probably have a perception of who we are as Christians, as a church, and then as one another as a community. And I want to emphasize something, that we love y'all. And I know that you guys love us. Uh, and so everything that we do, we do it in mind of you guys. And we care about you. We care about community. And I want to make sure that we know that. Amen. Amen. Thank God for that. As we have continued, actually are going to finish our series through the Beatitudes. It's important to know that throughout this entire time, um, we have been trying to shape the minds and hearts of our people to recognize the reality of what it means to live as a Christian. As a kingdom-minded individual who is not necessarily driven by morality. That their only reason for being a Christian is to be in a place to where you receive or earn or, or you are actually rewarded. The greatest reward in which we will get to this morning is that we will see Jesus and be with him for eternity. And that is the greatest hope that we can have. There's nothing, no one or anything that can satisfy that. And thus, you have heard us go over what it means to be merciful. You've heard us go over what it means to hunger and thirst after righteousness. What it means to be poor in spirit. What it looks like in these aspects. And also, we've talked about pure in heart and what it means to be meek. And we've also went over the fact of what it looks like for all of us to be peacemakers and not just peacekeepers, maintaining peace. All of which we can do in community. One of the fundamental principles in which I think Christians ought to adopt is this. You can't practice something outside of these four walls if we don't practice it within these four walls. You can't practice something outside of these four walls if you can't practice it within these four walls. What am I, what do I, what am I getting to? I'm getting to the fact that if we don't love each other, if we don't seek the welfare of one another, we can't just do it to random strangers. We can't do it to our neighbors. We won't be able to recognize or see or even have the lens in order to care for people who are not part of our lives on a day-to-day basis. And so if you are to take that, and to apply it in what we go through this this morning and the entire uh, Beatitudes. And even if you go through the Summit of the Mount, one of the things that 
will realize is that transformed people actually transform things. Transformed people actually transformed things. Say it with me, say it with me, say it with me. Transformed actually what? Oh my goodness, y'all preaching this morning. We don't even got. Let me pray to the Lord of the harvest because y'all sound good already. Father, we thank you and we bless you for your mercy and your grace. And that you have been one who has always saw fit to be in the presence of your people. To strengthen us in a powerful way. That we will not just see miracles or we will just have a sense and a feeling. But we will actually be moved to love one another. Be moved to seek how we can serve each other. Be moved in ways in which they are so powerful that we see the the transformative work that has happened in our hearts as an outward expression in our lives and through our community. We thank you and we pray you, God, that you use me to encourage your, your people, speak directly to where they are, uh, Father, so that they may be able to know that your word is alive and true. Allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. All God's people said. Amen. What's your understanding of persecution? Have you ever experienced some level of persecution, especially for the sake of someone else? What is your understanding of persecution? How do you view persecution while living in America? I understand. It's comfortable at times. We don't feel as if we sense any persecution for our belief system. Or for the name that we proclaim. Many of us can wear material that says we're Christians but not live the material that we're wearing that says that we're Christians. And what am I saying? And why do I say that? It's because Karen Ellis wrote an article in Christian Christianity Today. She is an African-American scholar who teaches at Reformed Theological Seminary. And the title of that particular article was, Are American Christians Really Persecuted? And as she was actually explaining, she said, well, and she does a lot of work overseas. She says, our brothers and sisters overseas say that we are, then we must be. In fact, she quoted one of our missionary friends across seas who were serving. He says this, persecution is easier to understand when it's physical. Torture, death, imprisonment. American persecution is like an advanced stage of cancer. I'm going to say that again. American persecution is like an advanced stage of cancer. It eats away at you. Yet, you cannot feel it. This is the worst kind of persecution. Let me ask you another set of questions. Have you ever been persecuted standing for the oppressed and the marginalized. Or what does it even mean to be persecuted 
for those who are voiceless or for matters that you see that are unjust. What does it mean? Because I don't know if you are aware, but there is a particular issue within our own church, the universal church, as to what is actually justice. And what constitutes for individuals who may see justice from different perspectives. Here it is, being in a multi-ethnic setting and trying to be in a multi-social economic setting, in a multi-generational setting, all of the multis. We don't realize that we have various different competing worldviews that actually makes us understand Justice and various different ethical things differently than one another. We have to fight to make sure that we are not partisan Christians. Unity should be at the core of what we do. Why is that? It is because partisan politics or anything that divides us actually tries to supersede the unity that Christ has given us to be with one another. Do you realize or do we even see that many times when we look at what what we refer to as persecution of righteousness, for the sake of righteousness, when we look at this, it's only in relation to our godly devotion which adorns our spirituality. It's only in relation to our godly devotion, which it actually should affect how we live in community and how we live out loving our neighbors as oneself. This morning, this is what we get to. We get to how the beatitude actually informs the way that we live as a just community in the midst of pressure. And not folding under pressure. That's what I want y'all to get this morning. That is the main thing. That How do we live as a just community? The Bible informs how we live in a just community while feeling pressure. Three things. We will be persecuted for righteousness or justice. And you'll get, I'll get to why I keep saying righteousness and justice interchangeably. But we will be persecuted for righteousness or justice sake. Verse 10. We will... Participate in Christ's suffering, which helps us to empathize with one another. That is verse 11. And then we will be presented with the great reward, verse 12. Now, when we look at this and we start, I I really strive hard, y'all, to say persecution, participate, and present it with. Y'all didn't catch it. Thank you. But... When we think about what it means to be persecuted for righteousness sake, I want us to understand that the Beatitudes helps, has already helped us see what marks a Christian through mercy. It helps us see that we've been marked as Christians by our righteousness in being pure in heart and then also working to make peace. And so in seeing this, we can see that each of these, we as Christians could actually be persecuted for doing 
I hope you're tracking with me because as we continue on, I want to make, I want to continue to to defend this point, if you will, because Matthew in verse 10, he actually says that blessed are, but if we were to look at what persecuted actually, how it's translated, we will parse it out. It is blessed are those who have, who have been persecuted or having been persecuted. Meaning that there is, that these individuals were already being persecuted and will continue to be persecuted. If you're reading it as a, as a Jew in the context of where they are, Matthew is saying, we know, or Jesus is saying, we already know, I already know that you're being, you have been persecuted and you will be persecuted and you'll continue to be persecuted. So blessed are those who have been persecuted for righteousness sake. What does this mean for them? How have they been persecuted? By governmental structures? They've been oppressed? They've also been oppressed by religious structures? They've been oppressed by economic structures? They've been oppressed by any unjust systemic oppression that's been around them as Christians, but not just as Christians, as individuals, as people who have inherent dignity. These individuals have felt this level of oppression and what, and what Jesus is saying directly to them is that blessed are you because all of the things that you've gone through to stand up for justice sake, you are blessed and you will continue to be blessed. Not in this mysterious way because some of us are just joining it today. So we kind of got to go back and look at the fact that this is not a blessedness in which we're saying that is bestowed upon you. It's a state in which you, you, it's a state in which you are. And this is what Jesus is actually saying, trying to connect. But here, I want to unpack what it means that righteousness and justice are tied together. Dr. Carl Ellis helps us with this because he's encouraging us not to see righteousness as only referring to godly devotion. He breaks righteousness up in four dimensions. Godliness, justice, personal, and social. And so when you look at when he breaks this down in four dimensions, here's the emphasis. The emphasis he is saying on this particular passage is this, is that if we understand righteousness in relational and covenantal terms, what happens is is it's very helpful to know how to do right by your neighbor. How to do right by your neighbor. And what 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 is he what what is why does he say this? It's because he says that if we then look at righteousness from the standpoint in which God actually is saying that whatever he says is right, it's not whatever he does is right. God doesn't do right in order for right to be done. God says it's right and it is right. God does it, God does it, and it's right. That is righteousness. Same thing with just. God does it, and it's just. God says it, and it's just. He doesn't do it because it is. He is it. Therefore, when he, when we look at this, and Dr. Carl Ellis helps us with this, because he says that it actually means that we will all experience liberation and empowerment, not simply through a spiritual reality, but also through the physical as well. So, here's a, here's a good example in order for us to hear, to listen or to hear is Leviticus 25 through 10 through 17, just one portion of it. What it says is, you actually will, he will proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. Oh, then we go and we can also look at what Jesus is 
quoting Isaiah 61 where he is saying in uh, Luke 4.18. Let me go to that briefly. Luke 4.18 where he is saying the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the favor, the year of the Lord's favor. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? So God defines what's just and right, which then we are being persecuted for what He defines as just and right, and which what actually shapes our worldview. And so what we have to wrestle with is not the fact that we only look at Christian persecution for the standpoint of if I'm standing for the doctrines of grace, if I'm only affirming the deity of Christ, or if I'm only looking to affirm or stand for the right doctrine of sin. Actually, what he is saying to us is that you also can be persecuted for standing up for those who are oppressed, who are marginalized, for fighting for justice, for fighting fighting to challenge gentrification, for fighting for those who do not have equal rights, for fighting for economic justice. He's saying persecuted, blessed are those who are persecuted who fight for these things. Who fight for these things? And you say, I don't believe you, Mike. This doesn't make sense. Well, let's go to Matthew 23, 25 through 20, 23 through 40, where Jesus actually, as he's given the final parable, you know what he says to his disciples? He's saying to them, he's saying, thank you. He's saying, blessed are those. He's saying, you, you will be blessed because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me water. When I was in prison, you visited me. You visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was actually sick, you came to my need. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. The connection that he is making then is because his, he also says his disciples will say, then when did we do this, Lord? We don't even know when we served you in this way. How did we do this? You know what he says? Verbatim, when we look uh, at the next verse, he says this, excuse me, please water. <clears throat> he gets water. He says this, and this is it. And when did, uh, and the king will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. As you did it, one for the least of these, you did it for me. They didn't recognize that they were actually serving and doing justice for Jesus because it wasn't just angels. Because some commentators were speaking about angels. It was actually the reality which they care for the people who God created. So then in turn, church, this is where I'm making that big statement at the beginning. If we can't do it here, we can't do it out there. That is why it applies. Because if we then look at what it means to suffer for justice or suffer with one another, we should look at how we ought to do it to each other. How we ought to do it in community. And then, church, I want you to hear something. And then, church... We would have been it, we would have been before the Me Too movement. And then church, we would have intervened or we would have prevented the BLM, BLM movement, the Black Lives Matter movement. 
It's not because the movement is bad. It's because Christians are aware. And this is also why we can look at it as we would have been ahead when it came to sex trafficking. Y'all still don't believe me. Aileen Coleman is in Mofrock, Jordan. So for my missionaries, many of y'all know who Aileen Coleman is. She is a phenomenal missionary. Sacrificed her life throughout this. She's still alive today. She was in Memphis just a couple years ago in order to serve Bedouin women in Mofrock, Jordan, overseeing a clinic. She's a nurse, a sophisticated nurse, in serving these women who have all of these diseases. Laura Neal, who was actually one of, a part of our body, is with, uh, with Aileen Coleman in Mofrock, Jordan, serving the same women. I want you to think about this, and I want it to tie closely. These women left where they were, used God-given gifts and skills that they had, in order to go into an area where they would be, where they would be persecuted to serve those who were oppressed. These women left where they were in order to go into a land so that they may be a blessing to the better women. This sounds like Genesis 12, 1 through 3. That the DNA of Christians, what God told Abraham moment, while ago, the DNA for Christians is that we will be a blessing that will continue to bless. But he did not say you won't be cursed. He said you will be cursed. And whoever cursed you, I will curse them. So this is what it, this is what it means that a righteousness tied and understanding justice and you can go into the semantics and break down the word and understand that it means uprightness. It means fair and equitable. So this righteousness is not an imputed righteousness that we only look at it from the cross, but it's a righteousness that actually means that we do Micah 6 and 8. That's my point. So then we will be persecuted. For this. But then also, we will participate in Christ's sufferings, which means that we will empathize with one another. You're like, Mike, you're saying the same thing. No, I'm saying something different. I'm saying something very different. Empathy is hard. Empathy is very hard. Especially, here's a generational difference with empathy. I know that there are, so I go to the barbershop. It is so, my barber is probably, my barber is 63 years old. Okay, I use a, he uses a straight razor on my head. I'm nervous to death to shave my head because when I see blood, I may faint and it's over. I'm seeing Jesus. I, I just, I can't do it. And so I, I have to go to the barbershop in order for him to shave my head. But when I go to the barbershop, there are clear, I am, a lot of times I'm the youngest man in my barbershop. And everyone is at least 45 and up. And so when I go to the barbershop, there are distinct generational differences. One of them is music. Music. You would always hear one of them say, oh, these young, these young people, they don't know nothing about music. Then he'll go play OJs. 
Or he'll go play, you know, Temptations. Or he'll play you know, something from Stats. He, he'll, he'll play all these old things. Yeah, this, this stuff that y'all, everybody in the barbershop agreeing. Yeah, they don't know nothing about this today. This is, this is, this is now, they, they don't understand. And I'm sitting there, I'm trying to, I'm thinking to myself, well, is that really a substantial difference in the substance of what they're saying to what they're saying today? Papa was a Rolling Stone? Ah, okay. But I want you to get this, that because of that, because they can't empathize with younger generations, everything is my generation did better. But see, when we come to being multi-intergenerational and all of that good stuff, what happens is we can't just look at younger folks and say, well, younger folks, y'all ain't did it like the old folks. Y'all need to step up. That is an issue in why we have Black Lives Matter. They didn't believe that the church was doing anything. That's a generational difference. You would hear, you're not doing anything, and y'all didn't do anything then. And older, older brothers and sisters were like, wait a minute, you can't forsake what we've already done. What's this level of empathy I'm talking about? This level of empathy, empathy that Jesus teaches us through his suffering, suffering allows us to see that we can't compete with one another's sufferings or differences. We have to empathize with each other even though we don't understand it fundamentally. So when I go in the barbershop, sometimes I have to say, well, there is some goodness to what you actually hear in music today. In some music, okay? <laughs> or when I'm talking to some of my younger brothers and sisters who harp and beat on the church regarding matters of justice, I have to go all the way back and say, well, why do, what do you say about I.D.B. Wells? What do you say about Sojourner Truth? What do you say about these individuals who actually fought and proclaimed the name of Jesus? And so then we have to be able to come to an understanding. This is what Jesus says. And I think and I believe from what the text is telling us when we look at verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely. I think what Jesus is saying is that you'll go through this in order to empathize with my weaknesses. With my sufferings. So that we don't just magnify the cross. But we feel the excruciating pain of the cross in order to know that what Jesus did was not just a mere sacrifice, but he had mercy on our lives. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? And so then when Moses, you can even see this from Hebrews 11, 26, he helps us see the richness of Jesus' sufferings and that his richness in participating with his sufferings are worth everything. He says, Moses says, consider the reproach in verse, uh, in, in Hebrews 11 verse 26, Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. You know who Moses was. You know where he was. And he said, I would leave this in order to be with Yahweh. Also, you can see what Pete, First Peter says in his epistle, when he says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. 
These are real spiritual realities. They help us see the beauty of godly suffering and suffering with one another, knowing that Christ is with us. You will experience verbal abuse. You will experience persecution. You will experience defamation of character. That's why they called him Prince of uh, Demons. That's why they put the crown of thorns on his head. That's why they spit in his face. That's why they were able to try to arrest him and hang him on the cross. Because he defied their social norms. And that's why we have to empathize with Christ and with one another in our sufferings. So do we know how to suffer together? That's the challenge, church. Do we know each other well enough to empathize with one another? That's the challenge, church. And as we do and as we grow, there is a key way in which we can do this. I work three years in a homeless shelter. And as I was in that homeless shelter, I had to be, I had to eat with men. I watched them sleep, 44 men every night. I watched them take baths. I hand them toothbrush, bath towels. If they needed anything, we were there in order to serve them. I ate with these brothers. When they were sick, they coughed in my face. When they were mad, they cussed me out. I heard their stories. I seen veterans who were 60 years old and had nowhere to go and had no family. I was able to hear their personal narrative. I was able to hear why they had so much beef against the church, but yet they were in a Christian shelter. I was able to sit there and talk to other men who struggled in their sexuality, but that they were homeless and were kicked out. I was with these men for three years. When me and my wife would walk downtown in St. Louis, Missouri, I knew them and they knew me on first name basis and also nicknames. It went from me just seeing men who probably lined up at Larry Rice or hung out at a park to actually knowing them and asking them, what you doing today? Where are you going today? Are you staying out of trouble? Do you need some help? Do you have lunch today? Are you coming back to the shelter? See, the community that we had was one in which we spent so much time together that we, I was able to understand what needs they needed. What I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters, is that what it means for us as a community is to spend so much time together, to get to know each other, so that we innately understand the needs and empathize with one another. That if somebody is in our own community and they're homeless, that we can come alongside of them. That if somebody is in our community, and this happens a lot, they need a vehicle. Some people come alongside and help and lend a vehicle. When somebody needs a job, somebody comes alongside and offers a job. This is suffering. We cannot miss that. And this helps us to empathize. Even when it comes to our household, I was with some brothers and we've just been reading Titus 2. If you understand anything fundamentally about reading the Bible, reading the uh, reading Paul's letters, you have to read them all together. And so we just read the entire letter before we try to dissect anything or, or try to apply anything. And one of the things was this past week is we, we stumbled across Titus 1 and 8 and we also stumbled across Titus 2, 11 through 12. And he used this word upright. And he said this, he said, but... But hospitable, a lover of God, of good, 
self-control, upright, and holy, referring to the qualifications of an actual elder. And then he also says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training to us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Why does he continue to say upright? Because upright is the same Greek word as justice. Even in our own homes where there is so much dissension, married couples, broken homes, single mothers, people that have mothers or fathers that are on drugs, people that are struggling with uh, homes that are conflicted. You know our jobs as Christians? It's not just to pursue justice for people outside of our home. It's to do it by listening to our wives. It's to do it by caring and loving our husbands. It's to do it as children who want to honor their mother and father. It's to do it knowing that what you're building is God's family. And in turn, when you do that at home, you do it right here in the church. And then when you do it in the church, you actually do it to your neighbor and your community. It it actually transforms the way that we actually participate with Christ in his sufferings. And then lastly, we see that we will be presented with a great gift. One of the things I like to do is I love to do weddings. And the reason I love to do weddings is because I'm the kind of pastor that just, I get attached. So we go through the, the premarital counseling phase. And then we get all the way to the wedding, and I'm, I'm talking about, you know, all the little stuff. Don't, don't, don't be worried about the flowers. Don't be overwhelmed with the colors. Don't, don't allow your dress to, 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 to call, give you a headache. Don't, you know, step away from your mother at times. <laughs> don't let grandma come in and, and, and push away. If you want to do it differently, you can do it differently. And then talking to the husband and saying, listen, you just need to be quiet. (laughs) This her world, you just living in it. And then we get to the day. We get to the wedding day and then the doors open. And sometimes I remember doing my first wedding. And they had, they wanted the wedding homily. I I love when the the, the couple picks out their, their scripture for the wedding homily. It was Revelation 21. The marriage supper. And just as scripture talks about a bride adorned for Christ, you see her walk down. And I'm standing with the groom. Many times he's weeping uncontrollably. I've learned to keep a box of tissues somewhere. Because he's enamored by her beauty. And the moment which brings happiness Cause rejoicing. Actually brings a level of gladness. It's amazing. And in that, I do believe there is a mysterious thing that is happening that God is working in the midst of it because we believe they're worship services. But I come out of that moment realizing that it is just that, a moment. And what the text helps me to realize is that When we get to verse 12, he says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. 
pointing back to the fact that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Helping us to see that we actually are not living worthless lives. And that the wedding that we're waiting on one day is that when the sky will crack and the trump will sound, it's a different kind of prelude, it's a different kind of intro. It's not Stevie Wonder, ribbon in the sky, but it's our Savior calling our name, saying who we are. Helping us to know that our greatest hope is not in the fact that we do not go with, we go without struggling. In fact, it's what Paul says in Romans 5 that we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, has been given to us, and thus we can rejoice like no other person on this earth, like no other being or created thing that that is not worshiping God, because the God who created us will come back for His creation and be the reward, the very thing that we adorn, the very thing that we desire, and the very thing that fulfills us. So when we come this morning to the table, We know the reward is not the fact of what you did this week. It's not in how much you're being persecuted or you looking to go to the mission field or you looking to go out and do justice somewhere else if you're not doing it here. Here it is. This table reminds you that God is with you. He's with us. We ought to be with one another. We ought to empathize with each other. Knowing that the suffering that that is pictured here is a suffering that empowers Christians. Amen, somebody. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you and we bless you. We thank you that you've given us your word. You've given us this table in order that we may know who you are. Your presence is more more of a reality for us. And God, that we fall in love with you more and more as we fall in love with one another as the community that will bring glory to your name. Father, we pray this in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ. All God's people say.